Pastor Xavier Reese, contending for the faith with the simple truths of the Word. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Whenever you read the word woe and hear it, it doesn't mean that the apostle saw a good-looking girl. It declares judgment. Whenever you read the word woe, it means judgment is certain. Woe means you've gone too far. Judgment is going to come. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What is apostasy? Who is apostate? And why does it matter? Jude, in his epistle, puts every generation of God's people on notice of the ease with which Christians and the Christian church embrace unscriptural doctrine. In vivid detail, Jude tells us how to identify apostate teachers. And in a verse-by-verse study, Pastor Xavier begins a list of 16 harmful characteristics to beware of, yet found within the body of Christ. Let's listen. Jude having chosen three Old Testament examples of God's judgment in the past, has assured his readers that God will judge apostates and apostasy. The examples in verse 5 of the people he saved from Egypt, but destroyed because they did not believe. Verse 6, the angels who left their first estate or did not keep their proper domain. And then Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 7. The important thing here is in verses 5, 6, and 7 is that God has judged in the past and he will judge in the future. None will escape his judgment. Many times men can get away with different things within the world, within the church, and it seems like they're pulling the wool over people's eyes. Seems like it's paying off. It seems like they have control of everything. And yet, as the book of Hebrews says, that God sees all things. Everything is open and naked with him with whom we have to do. Nothing is hid from his sight. David kept quiet for a year, and yet he was miserable for a year. Read some of the Psalms. And it wasn't until he was confronted by Nathan the prophet, and his sin was exposed. But yet God knew his sin all along. And so there is nothing that we can hide from God, and God will deal with us in due time. He's in no hurry. Now Jude turns to describe these apostates from verse 8 to verse 16. He says, likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authorities, and speak evil of dignitaries. The likewise is a connection to verses 5, 6, and 7. These individuals were dreamers who defiled the flesh, rejected authority, and spoke evil of dignitaries. The reference to dreamers is used to those who come to people and lay the big spiritual trip on them. The Lord told me to tell you. The Lord showed me in a dream. And these individuals seem to always try to impress people and to manipulate people and to overpower people by their sense of spirituality. And they can't ever give you a concrete event or something, but it's real mystical. 
It goes beyond scripture. It is very subjective, very experience oriented. And men and women like this use these qualifications to place themselves in positions of authority or leadership. Moses spoke in Deuteronomy chapter 13 that if a dreamer come to you and he tell you a dream and he tries to lead you away from God, then what they were to do was to find out who this individual was and if in fact after inquiry he was trying to take them away from the worship of Yahweh, they were to kill him. They were to stone him because he was trying to take them away from the living God. They are dreamers, first thing he says, who defile the flesh. So the first characteristic of these apostates is that they're characterized by one who defiles the flesh. The word defile means to pollute, to contaminate, or to soil. It is that sphere in which they live in which really nothing is sacred. They live for their passions. Thayer's a Greek expositor, says this. Here it is in a physical and moral sense. Men who use the pulpit, men who use the church, men who use the sphere of God to satisfy their own sinful passions, who abuse of people who have come to God and opened their hearts up to a true and genuine work of God, and they abuse the people of God. They defile the flesh. But he says also they reject authorities. They're characterized by no respect for authority. This refers to human or divine. It seems like they want to be an authority in themselves. Have you ever met people like that? Thirdly, he says they are characterized by speaking evil of glorious ones, of dignitaries. That's what the word means. Splendor or brightness from the word doxa. The doxology, the glory to the Lord at the end. This can mean either to angels or to those in authority. We're just not sure. Uh, some have translated to preeminent ones, which would, could include one or the other. The following verse speaks of yet Michael the archangel, and maybe this is the inference too, that it includes angels. We're not sure. But they're characterized by speaking evil. The word is blasphemous about glorious ones. Men and women who at times just do not hesitate. They, they, don't, they don't even have the fear of God. Now, if you have a complaint against somebody, go to God with it. And see what God shows you. And then go back to the person. And if you haven't gone to God and you haven't gone to the person... You have no business going to anybody else. But it seems that God and the person are the last people we go to. We've talked to everybody in the church before we've talked to that person or the Lord about it. And that's not right. We need to be sincere. We need to be honest. We need to be men and women of integrity. Men and women of agape love. And love covers a multitude of sins, the Bible says. The best way to bury a sin is to go right back to the source and take it care of. Take care of it right then and there and leave it there. The second epistle of Peter, just back some books, a couple of books. 
In chapter 2, verse 12 through 14, Peter says in relationship to these heretics also, But these like brood beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who counted pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots in your blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions, while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and they cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. And yet they are within the church. Jesus says we have to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves, not clumsy as ox. And we need to put on our thinking caps and we need to make sure that we're fruit inspectors. But you walk in wisdom. You check everything out. I, as a shepherd, and those men who God has placed overseers, we are to oversee the flock in case people come in to deceive you, to rip you off or whatever. But you individually are to protect the body from within itself. Now, my head takes care of a lot of things to protect my body. But my body defends itself in a lot of individual ways. And so the same way with the body of Christ. The shepherd, the elders, the overseers watch over, but the body members look out also and defend and expose and take care of things. Now in verse 9, he says, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not to bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now the connection from verse 9 to verse 8 perhaps is in reference more to angels. We're not positive, but because of what follows, there's at least an inclination to that. Michael is an interesting angel. He's called an archangel. He is the warrior of Israel, the defender of Israel. He is seen in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 12. We see him in Revelation chapter 12. And he is the one who fights for Israel all the time. Now, he has just talked to us in verse 8 about those who reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. What a tremendous illustration it is here that Michael, who is an archangel, nobody messes with him. Read the book of Daniel. And yet, when he came up against Satan, Lucifer, he did not charge him or speak evil of him or mocking him or presume on his authority. Michael kept the Lord between he and Lucifer. I shudder when Christians walk around challenging Satan, making fun of him, mocking him. Listen, if Michael the archangel didn't think it wise, who are you and who am I? And yet, James says, draw nigh to God, resist the devil, listen, and he will flee. That's a promise. I think the reason why he doesn't flee is because we don't resist him. Eve certainly didn't resist him. She began to converse with him. By the time he was done, she had blown it. By the time Satan gets done with me, when I don't resist him, I've blown it. 
And I need to remember this. But I need to remember that I am no one to match him. So if for Michael, the Lord rebuke you was good enough, that's good enough for me. As a matter of fact, that's probably the best thing I can say to him. That's having wisdom. The context in which he gives it to us here is that Satan, for some reason, wanted the body of Moses. Now, Moses tells us in Deuteronomy 34, 5, and 6, of course, he didn't write that portion because he was being buried by God. That's what it says. But whoever finished the book there, that God buried him and no one knew where. Now, this passage here in verse 9 is said to be from the apocryphal book, The Assumption of Moses. The apocryphal books were those books which were written, apocalyptic books, during the 400 years of silence. No known prophet was alive. So we don't accept them as scriptural. So it seems like we have a seeming contradiction. If that is true, then how is it that we are to accept verse 9 that Jude tells us? No problem. Jude is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We've established that in verses 3 and 4. And the Holy Spirit sought fit to make this known to Jude. I don't believe primarily that Jude quoted it because he was familiar with the assumption of Moses. Because if that's what we conclude, then we have to accuse Jude of speaking of within inspiration and outside of inspiration within this book. And then we have another problem. Who is going to tell us what is inspired and what isn't inspired? And so I have no problem with it. It was written during that time, and yet some of these other books were written even after, during the New Testament period. But yet the Holy Spirit sought fit to make it known here to Jude, something that was not recorded in the Old Testament. And yet it is made known to Jude now. For whatever reason, Satan wanted the body of Moses. We don't know. But we can just speculate. We know how fickle the children of Israel were in the wilderness and how idolatrous they were. Maybe he wanted to use the body of Moses for some idolatrous thing. We don't know. It's speculation. But he rebukes them in the name of the Lord. Verse 10 says, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things, they corrupt themselves. The fourth characteristic is that they are characterized by speaking evil about what they do not know. The word is oida, to know intuitively. They speak evil. And whatever they know naturally like brute beasts in this thing, they corrupt themselves. So the fifth characteristic is they're characterized by corruption of what they do understand becoming worse than animals. In that which they do understand, they only pollute it, they corrupt it. Why? Because they have only one person in mind above all else, themselves. Study the church history. Study the movements of men who have come in. Some of these guys fall right in line here. Because they don't match up to Scripture. 
at all. Woe to them. Mark that well. Whenever you read the word woe, it isn't warning. Whenever you read the word woe and hear it, it doesn't mean that the apostle saw a good-looking girl. It means judgment is certain. Whenever you read the word woe, it's all over with. It declares judgment. Woe means you've gone too far. Judgment is going to come. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Now another triad. First is Cain. The sixth characteristic is a characteristic of Cain. What does that mean? Well, you remember Cain. He offered the fruit of the ground and he killed his brother. It's a type of religious man who rejects God's revealed sacrifice and rules by his own will his own life. He says, I will do as I will, when I will, when I please. And I will offer to God what I want to offer to him. He rejects God's way. God said, blood. Cain said, have some vegetables. God says, I can't accept it. Hebrews 11.4 says, for Abel offered a much better sacrifice. 1 John 3.12 says, Cain was the wicked one. Paneros. It is a word that not only means evil in himself, but he delights in making others evil. God says, why is your countenance fallen, Cain? If you do good, will you not be accepted? But sin lies at the door, and it wants to master you. The picture there is of a ravenous beast ready to leap upon its prey. What was God doing to Cain? God was offering repentance to Cain. Did he take it? No, not at all. Such are these men. But Cain was also known as a murderer. These men are people who kill spiritually and sometimes physically. I wonder how many people have died because of these men who propose and propagate the faith doctrine and they have not taken their children or their spouses or their mates to a doctor and they've died. These men are no better than Jehovah Witness who say you cannot have a blood transfusion. No different. So really, Judah is right on target. They're murderers at the ultimate end. Seventh characteristic, they have gone or run greedily in the air of Balaam. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. He says, for they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, restraining the madness of the prophet. Peter speaks of him. Jude speaks of him. The book of Revelation chapter 2 verse 14 speaks of him. The account is found in Numbers 22 through 24 and in chapter 31. King Balak called him to curse the children of Israel, offered him all kinds of money. God told Balaam, don't go. They're my people. You can't curse them. He sent back another group to offer more money. Balaam checked with God, but he didn't wait till the morning. He was gone already. God met him in the road. The angel had a sword drawn, going to wipe him out. If it wasn't for that little donkey, he would have been dead. 
You know the story. And that's why Peter says the madness of the prophet was appeased by the speaking donkey. <laughs> How do we know he was mad? He talked back to the donkey. He's a type of person who errs in desiring, listen, popularity and gain. When King Balak took Balaam to the three sites, and every time he was going to curse the children of Israel, blessings came out. Balak finally got fed up with him. He says, I intended to promote you, but God has kept you from this. His love was for popularity and for money. Greed expresses itself in both of those areas. There are men in ministry who just want to be famous. And they will do anything to make sure their church grows. It doesn't make any difference if God is in it. They don't care about how they're going to get results. They want results. Popularity. Money. But there's another aspect to Balaam. In chapter 31 of the book of Numbers, though he knew he couldn't curse the children of Israel, he gave counsel to Balak to send his young women into the camp and show the Israelites how to worship their gods and sexual rites. Numbers 25 gives us the account where God began to wipe out the people because of their sin from the council of Balaam to Balak. Phineas was talking to Moses and Joshua and Aaron there. And as they were talking, one of these Israelites young men walked into the tent with one of these women and began to lay with her. Phineas was so upset he took a javelin and thrust them both through. Her through the back, he through the front. And the wrath of God was appeased and God blessed Phineas and promised that he would always be in his lineage because of his righteous stand for God. You see, these individuals, in Balaam's case, they're a type of person who stands behind idolatry and sexual immorality. They make an immoral practice within the church of Jesus Christ. Revelations 2.14, we find that the doctrine of Balaam is one of the charges to the church of Pergamos. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Chapter 31 of Numbers tells us of the account where Balaam was wiped out because of his counsel. It may seem like these people get away, but they don't get away with anything. Jesus said, it would be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and cast yourself into the sea than to stumble one of these little ones. Jesus was not talking about a little pebble. You ever get to go to Israel and you go across the Sea of Galilee and you go over to Capernaum, you will see some of those grinding mills or those millstones. Some of them are probably this high, three feet high, four feet high, probably two, three feet thick, and they're stone. If you put one of those babies around your neck and tie it, you know, and you cast it in, you're not going to come up. Jesus said it would be better for you to do that. Loving Jesus, meek and mild. Jesus don't mess around when it comes to people who try to rip off the people of God. Pastor Xavier Reese taking a serious look at apostasy just as the epistle of Jude reveals the serious way God judges those who would attempt to lead astray children he calls his own.
Now, you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And we've had to break only partway through this study, but if your schedule permits you to tune in next time for the conclusion, as always, you can pick up your own personal copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply Jude Part 3. It's available on CD for just $4. That title once again is Jude Part 3. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And then thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com